Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 602. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of 70 degree weather, beautiful days, birds chirping, nothing could go wrong, no rules, just right. Over here <laughs> in my neck of the woods, I had a kid with an ear infection and three days of fever for the last five days. And I got Invisalign in the last week. And so my face feels like it's scrunching up into itself in fun ways. But hey, we're not here to promote Invisalign, everybody. <laughs> we are here because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. Yeah, and there's a lot to be excited about because hold on to your hats. Mm. This week we are talking with composer John Murphy about scoring Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Let's take a little listen. The moment where where the animals are all lying around early in the film and and, and you know and they're trying to figure out what they're gonna be called. You know, just seeing that innocence. You know, it's moments like that. I mean, you know, it probably all goes back to my childhood too, but you know, they're they're the moments where I feel, you know, I've got something in the well. Run to a theater and go see Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's only in theaters. It's right now. It's going to make you feel things. So many things. It will make you feel things, but it's so funny. Yes. And it's so well done. It's really high up there on my list of MCU films. It's really, really something. I, I want to go see it again. I don't know if I'll have the opportunity because having a small child means it's difficult to go to movies that you can't bring them to. But I want to see it in 3D really badly. <gasps> Oh, now I want to see it in 3D. Yeah. I would like to go to the Alamo and eat good snacks and watch that movie um, again. Because... I know you don't eat meat, but the Draft House has this, like, I don't know what it's called, like, sloppy infused burger or something like that. And it is such a good hamburger. And then you can ask them, and it's not on the menu, but you can ask them for waffle fries. <gasps> Game changer. You guys... Real talk, though. Waffle fries, best fries? I think so. Let us know. Email us, twinpodcast.marvel.com, <laughs> if you think waffle fries are the best fries or what your favorite fries are. We want to know. We are just we may not talk about it on the show, but we're going to share it internally on our Slack. But look, we're talking about hungry, hungry foods. If you're still hungry for hot, steamy Guardians content, we've got plenty for you over on marvel.com. You can learn the cast's favorite songs from volume three, which is really cool. You can get info on new toys and apparel and other Guardian stuff you can buy. Uh, I got this great box full of Guardian stuff recently. Uh, it came from consumer products. And so it was got, it got like a lounge fly bag and it's got a little stuffed Cosmo that Catherine loves, a whole bunch of other stuff. But they included these Guardians-inspired sunglasses from Diff, D-I-F-F, who have been partners on, on some of our things for a little while now. I also have a pair of Hitmonkey Diff glasses that I oh, love. Yeah, yeah. But these new Guardians glasses, incredible. Incre I don't know how much they cost, but I will buy another pair if these break. Guaranteed. That's what I'm saying. They're so High praise. Good. Yeah, they're so good. I love them. They look wild and they're wonderful also on marvel.com you can find out how to get star lord's jacket for your bitmoji which is super cool and even hear from maria bakalova on playing cosmo in the film man i have to say there have been some really amusing things just like coming out of different 
junkets about the film. And one of my favorite fun facts is that Karen Gillan did an interview in which she said that she had a therapy session and she had to show up for it, but she was in nebula makeup and couldn't take it off. And that is my just favorite fun fact of somebody showing up for therapy in full blue makeup. Couples therapy. (laughs) That's right. Couples therapy. So good. Yeah. I I heard that. (laughs) Did you see the post that director writer James Gunn put out um, about the 35 pound Peter Quill? Yeah. Yeah. So they had this incredibly realistic looking, dummy of peter quill chris pratt that is used in a scene and it was it's and it's in all the promo images you know all over the place yeah Yeah. you can see it nebula holds it as the guardians are walking it's very early in the film it's it's been as lorraine said in in all kinds of stuff but it's not a, a cgi effect and i think james was like the vfx team was asking where the wires were on this so that they could they could pull them out and it, there's no wires it's something that anyone can hold and it was bananas if you haven't seen it go on social media it is everywhere it's really good it's so weird because when you see chris pratt standing next to it it yeah. you, like you can't tell it looks like there are two chris pratts but one of them is like passed out in nebula's arms it's bizarro love it also it breathes no hard yes yep, yep. It, it, like they have a they have something in it that lets the the chest go up and down it is god i love this movie i want to talk about it and see it all the time also just like shout out to all the people who make all of the things like all of the vfx people all of the props mm-hmm. people that come up with all of these wild different things who all of these set designers who build these crazy sets like it takes like many many villages to do this stuff and it is really incredible all right speaking of incredible stuff there's also some cool guardians inspired updates if you're a fan of disney parks there are new food and beverages inspired by the guardians at the parks um over at disney california adventure park orlani on a stick milky fizz and zarg bites which we've we've had some zarg bites in our day yeah we got those from from our pals at hello fresh yeah, delish. And then Epcot has Perfect Sovereign Waffle Bites and a Guardians of the Galaxy cookie. Over in Disneyland Paris, there's a Guardians of the Galaxy dance challenge, collectible cards, character meets, food, and bevy options, such as uh, Flora Colossus Biscuits, which is, I believe, the genus of a certain Guardian of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. There is a Guardians Choco Orb at the Stark Factory, a Cosmic Cassette Magnum Ice Cream at Ice Cream Creations Food Truck over in Walt Disney Studios, plus a Flora Colossus Cocktail or Mocktail, or of course a Spicy Ravager Cocktail at Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel, uh, which is in Paris, and a stop by the Jack Kirby Legacy Galaxy in Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel. You might just discover the Traveling Across the Universe art exhibit of cosmic concept art from the Guardians films. Um, There's some colorful spacesuits. There's just like a bunch of stuff going on over at Disneyland Paris. Plus, appearing for a limited time, Mantis is going to be hanging out with Star-Lord in front of the Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout attraction over at Disney California Adventure at the Disneyland Resort uh, as part of the awesome dance-off at Adventures Campus. There's a lot. There's a whole lot. Oh, and while not specifically Guardians-themed, Marvel Fan Fest is happening at Shanghai Disneyland in May. Uh, there's a great little trailer, I think, over on the Marvel social handles and on some of the Disney Parks handles. There's foods, characters, merch, live experiences, and more. Go to a Disney park. Go experience a Guardian. There's so much fun stuff, uh, especially right now. Love to see it. Yeah. But, you know, we, we're talking about Guardians and in theaters. 
Also coming to theaters soon, Spider-Man mm. Across the Spider-Verse and tickets are now on sale. Very, very exciting. This is, of course, happening June 2nd, 2023, when Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse swings into theaters. If you haven't seen it, there's new trailers and TV spots and they're packing all of these little teases with so much content, so many characters, like hundreds of characters. But you know that there's so much more that we're not seeing yet. I, oh, yeah. I'm so excited. If you have not been part of the Spider-Verse, we've got Miles reuniting with Gwen Stacy. Then he's there. The two of them are just across the Spider-Verse meeting a ton of spider people. There's what seems like some battles with Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099. I saw Spider-Rex. In one of them, I saw uh, the Spider-Mobile, Peter Parked Car, in one of the, <laughs> the videos. Like, they're trying to cross a little bridge, and the Spider-Mobile falls. And I know Dan Slott, famed Spider-Man writer, just delight, friend of the show. I remember him talking about how much he, like, talked to the, the teams about this. And so, knowing that he was able to say, maybe, I, I'm assuming, he was like, maybe we put Peter Parked Car in there. They're like, that is the dumbest thing ever. Yes, we are putting it in there. <laughs> There's so much cool stuff. I'm wildly excited about the film. Um, we may get some of the folks behind the film or in the film here on the show in the next couple of weeks. So it's super duper cool. The cast includes Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, Jake Johnson, Issa Rae, Daniel Kaluuya, Karan Sony, Jason Schwartzman, Brian Tyree Henry, and so many more. Freaking hell. Give it to me right now. Also, I got to say, this is my favorite double dip cast of all time because mm -hmm. we got Haley Steinfeld, who plays Kate Bishop. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere in the MCU, we have Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Wakabi from Wakanda. Uh, we got Brian Oscar Isaac. Henry, Oscar Isaac, who, who, of course, is Moon Knight. So, like, I love that we are just like everybody be a spider. Also, Rachel Dratch is in the cast, which brings yeah. me great joy. Whatever you're doing, Rachel, I'm here for it. Let's go. All right. Coming down the pipe. Uh, of course, as we mentioned, last weekend was free comic book day. But now, if you missed it, or maybe even if you didn't, you can do some free comic book day over on Marvel Unlimited. Um, if you didn't get a chance to head by your local comic shop and pick up some free comics and hopefully also some paid for comics to support your local comic shops. You can also go check them out over on Marvel Unlimited if you are a subscriber. Um, Marvel fans, if you're not yet a Marvel Unlimited paid subscriber, we also have an exclusive code to redeem all free comic book day comics via marvel.com slash redeem. So get out your pen. Get out your pencil, a little slip of paper. All right, you ready? Okay. You're going to use the code FREE2023. That's F-R-E-E-2-0-2-3 over at marvel.com slash redeem to get digital copies of all of the issues uh, that came out for Free Comic Book Day. Free Comic Book Day 2023, Avengers X-Men number one, Spider-Man Venom number one, Marvel's Voices number one, and Spidey and his amazing friends number one. And as part of the digital free comic book day releases, Marvel Spider-Man 2, number one, the exclusive prequel comic that ties directly into the world of Marvel Spider-Man is now also available on Marvel Unlimited. The Marvel Spider-Man 2 game was developed by Insomniac Games in collaboration with Marvel Games and PlayStation for the PS5 console, which swings into stores this year. You're welcome. Go check out all of those free comic books on Marvel Unlimited. Ooh, this is super cool. So the, if you are an MU subscriber, again, you get those 
they're in Marvel Unlimited now. If you are not an MU subscriber, you can still have these comics with that code. Really, really cool. Love to see it. All right, everybody, I know you all love yourselves some Jean Grey, and Jean gets a new series for the fall of X this summer. Uh, starting this August, X-Men visionary writer Louise Simonson, known for her franchise-defining work on classic runs of X-Factor and New Mutants, she's back with an all-new four-issue Jean Grey solo series, and Louise is joined by artist Bernard Chang, who recently did our Children of the Atom series, and it's going to go um, give us some really cool insight into key moments of Jean's past, uh, like time and, and her early days with the X-Men, her first interaction with the Phoenix Force, the uh, some confrontations with Madeline Pryor, and more. Each chapter of this four-issue limited series is going to have um, some secrets, some cool mysteries. Jean's looking for the truth of what's happening and what she must do to sort of... She's kind of looking back to see how she can help the mutants during the, uh, the fall of X that's going on right now. And again, fall of X like starts in the hellfire gala everything is horrible and terrible gene's life is in shambles mutant kind is just pooped all over just just humanity and and everything is just like rubbing poop in their hair and it's just Ew. awful it's they awful. are pooped um this book <laughs> is so excellent i mean louise simonson obviously like a legend and uh this is just going to be an awesome series can't wait for it yeah Another August issue that was revealed this week is Captain America Finale, number one. Obviously, this is not the last Captain America issue ever, but this is the big wrap-up of the incredible Captain America Sentinel of Liberty storyline uh, with Steve and Captain America and just his whole crew going up against the Outer Circle. This is going to be by that creative team of Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Carmen Carnero, really closing their chapter of Captain America finale. Also sort of falling after what is falling after and kind of alongside what's going on in uh, Captain America number 750. So it's really a big wrap up to all kinds of Captain America stuff. Um, there's the Sentry game, all the stuff with Bucky, all the stuff with that Outer Circle, big extravagant stuff. The cover for this issue by Carmen Carnero is so good. My sweet boy Modoc is on there, but it's got the whole uh, Invaders crew that Captain America has been rolling with during this series and so much more. I don't want to get too deep into what's going on, but you want to read this because Captain America Sentinel Liberty is one of my favorite series we've had in the last year. So flipping good. Yeah. And uh, of course, don't look out for that major milestone issue coming. Captain America 750 with Tochi Onyabuchi and Arby Silva uh, as well. So get on into it. It's a cap summer, hot cap summer. Let's go. Mm-mm-mm. Also love to see new toys because Hasbro has shared some uh, looks at the Marvel Mech Strike Mechasaurs toy line, which is inspired by a new season of animated shorts. I wish I knew someone who was like involved <laughs> with those. Funny that you should mention that, Ryan. Mm. Uh, those are available over at YouTube.com slash Marvel HQ, and I work on a ton of those. <laughs> I highly recommend going and checking out all of those videos on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel and subscribing to the channel. There's tons of great content there that's appropriate for the whole family. And now we're getting a look at all of the cool stuff coming out around these new animated shorts. So right now you can pick these up at Walmart, but there's also going to be more toys coming in fall of 2023. And there are so many fun things. So the whole conceit of this 
storyline is that Ultron Prime Evil has decided humans are not worthy of technology and has shut down New York, put them inside a dome and taken away all of their technology. So what do the Avengers have to do? Outsmart him by taking his own mech dinosaurs and fashioning them into their own mech dinosaur army. So it's really fun. The superheroes have their own sort of writable transformable dinosaurs. It's super cute. We've got Captain America, Sam Wilson, and Red Wing, both in four-inch figures and a blaster version, you know, like those sort of Nerf-style blasters. So cute. Black Panther and Saberclaw, also in four-inch figures and blaster. Saberclaw, of course, being his panther that also transforms. So fun. Iron Man and Iron Stomper, who is a Stegosaurus Hmm. uh, in a four-inch figure. We've got Thor and Hulk in figures. We've got Ultron Prime Evil and his TR3X, a.k.a. T-Rex. Couldn't make it easy for us, could you, Ultron Prime Evil? And then, of course, a Spider-Man blaster as well. Super cute. Um, I know some folks, after we talked about it here on the show, had asked, when can we get Marvel Mech Strike Mechasaurs toys? Now, now is the time. Head over to Walmart and then, of course, look out for other retailers in fall of 2023. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. On to a little bit of podcast teasing because this week on Marvel's Pull List, the other show that I co host where we talk about all the latest comics, we've got three great picks for the week. One is I Am Iron Man number three, which is really good. It's got uh, the Iron Shogun where it's Iron Man in this Japanese sort of feudal-inspired armor. It is beautiful and cool, but it's a Mother's Day story. Tell you what, destroyed me as a <laughs> uh, only kid of a single mom. This is, whew, was really good, really good. First issue of a new Silk series, which is fantastic. It's got like an old-timey vibe where Silk is an old 30s, 40s-style detective in Hollywood. And then it sort of like goes around. It's really good. Uh, and X-Men Red number 11, Storm Goes on a Date, and other things. Oh, and Storm basically stomps the hell out of Charles Xavier's like soul with words. Into it. I love it so much. Really great comics this week. Then our reading club this week is with writer Alex Pacnadel covering an old issue of Iron Man. And he talks about how it connects to his current work on Red Goblin, which is a very interesting story. Definitely check all of that out, please. New episodes of Marvel's Pull List are out every Tuesday. Of course, that is a perfect way for you to get ready for Wednesday's new comic book day. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Stick around because we're going to be having on composer John Murphy from Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in just a moment. Yeah, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Lorraine Sink. And I'm Ryan Plagos. All right. The time has come. Cue up the band. Strike up the orchestra. Let's get into it. Yeah, right now you are hearing the song Orgoscope by John Murphy. It's one of the amazing pieces of music John composed for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And I got a chance to chat with John to find out about his musical origins, how he came to compose for his first Marvel Studios projects, um, you know, like 
he's fascinating dude super cool very sweet has done a, a ton of great stuff and his music is so you know such an important part of this film and I talked to him before seeing the film again and it really like galvanized a lot for me of, of how you set a mood really, really well with great music. Man, it's great stuff. Let's talk to John right now. Hello, John. I remember when your name was first given to us as a possible interview and I was like, yes, I've, I've been a fan of yours. Uh, I first heard the 28 days later stuff and I was like, oh man, I had some of your music on repeat over and over again for many years. So thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. What's your Marvel origin story? How'd you first encounter the Marvel characters? Were you a fan growing up? Did you come to them later in life? What was it for you that first connected you to Marvel? It was really the comics. I think I must have been about six or seven when I first started, you know, getting into comics. And, you know, for somebody in Liverpool, you know, the whole thing was very exotic. There was a little store just on the corner of our street, so it only had like five or six, and I used to just save up and I'd buy these comics. It was just another world for me, you know, it's that escapism thing when you're a kid. I used to put them in order of having read so that when there was no new comics out, I could go back to the bottom and start reading them again, you know? So I was kind of, you know, so that's really the beginning. And then obviously when the whole MCU thing happened and and it became this huge, big universe of movies and stories. Then it just dragged me back in. Um, and it was like reliving that whole childhood again for me. So um, so I had two big obsessions with Marvel, really. Hey, I love that. So let's talk about also music. I, I'm curious, were you self-taught? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally self-taught. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, it was actually my granddad for my birthday gave me my first record and it was quite a rare record now it was the beatles live at the hollywood bowl and I th- again i think i was must have been about seven or eight maybe oh, a little yeah. older but I remember the first time i played i had these cheap little tandy plastic headphones you know that made you sweat after about 10 minutes <laughs> i had this little record deck and um I remember playing the first side of it and something happened, something, it was kind of electrifying, really. I think the first song was Twist and Shout. And I'd never, I mean, I'd kind of heard of the name The Beatles, you know, because it's Liverpool. I'm from Liverpool. But that was the moment. I mean, I, I know for sure that was the moment. And I was kind of just electrified. I didn't even play the second side for ages. I just played the first side. And then I think that was the moment where, you know, the power of music kind of consumed me. And I just remember the energy and, and cause it was a live album. You could hear the crowd screaming and, and then from that moment, you know, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be John Lennon. Luckily my dad was a singer in the sixties. Um, and I used to do the pubs and the clubs and everything. So there was always bits of equipment lying around the house and I never thought about it before, but it just suddenly connected that my dad's got an electric guitar. There's an old amp in the back so one day shortly after getting this record from my granddad I, I, when my dad was out i kind of found out to plug the guitar in into this laney amp and i turned it up and i couldn't play anything i just sat with the guitar i could hear it buzzing and then i just smashed the first and this huge sound came out it was like <gasps> and that was it and then i thought i gotta learn to play so the very first song 
I learned because it's only three chords was twist and shout. And then about three years later, I, I formed my first school band, probably about 11. And punk was happening around that time. So we kind of learned all these Beatles songs, but we played them like the Sex Pistols. So it was it was the Beatles, but you know, at 200 miles an hour. So we ended up getting gigs in little pubs around Liverpool, you know, for like 10 pounds or something. And we were just these tiny kids, you know, 11, 12 years of age with these little white, we had these little black shirts with a white tie. And we looked all sweet, you know, and then we'd be like, -na 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 -na, <laughs> you know, and I just think we were a novelty. It's funny because at the time I thought we were the worst band in the world because we were, but looking back, those are the days that I think they imprint something on you. You never experience again because you can never experience something for the first time. It's like your first kiss. It's the first time you fall in love. The first time you get in front of an audience, even if it was just, you know, 11 dockers in a little pub on the dock road of Liverpool, that feeling of your gang just suddenly smashing in and all playing together. There's no feeling like it. From that point on, I was I was smitten. I think it was music or nothing. I love that. Uh, my wife plays. She's had a couple of bands, released some stuff. She plays bass and flute and stuff. And my daughter, you know, I'm relative, still relatively new dad. She's three and a half. And for Christmas this past year, we got her her first drum kit because oh, she just, oh. I don't want to try to like tell her how to do anything. I want her to, figure it out because she's only three and a half right now. I want her to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I go crazy when I see, you know, these, these little kids suddenly going into music theory and, you know, it's like four and five at, at schools and they just, it's just sucking the joy out for them before they even get to see if they love it or not. You know, I, I, I'm dead against that stuff. So yeah, just let it just smash them and have fun. And then, because, you know, What's happening is, as you're doing all of that, your muscle memory's kicking in. You're getting to remember where things sound good. And then your brain starts making connections as to what rhythms are. And then you're learning organically. The stuff you learn yourself is the stuff that stays with you forever. The stuff that other people teach you feels like homework sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're doing the right thing. Just let her have fun. Yeah. Let her wail. Let her go crazy. It's, it's fun. But that's what music's about, you know. You know, the best composers in the world were like, crazy you know <laughs> you just gotta let them do it yeah so let's go into that when did you then start beginning to to compose music and and think about getting into music that goes along with film or television or what have you i first became conscious of it i think with the with the james bond movies that was the first time when i realized that you know there was music in movies but you know when i first thought oh hang on that guitar is great there at all I became conscious of it then, and, and you know, I started to listen for it. I, maybe I was about nine or ten when it first hit me that somebody somewhere was writing this music. And then, you know, shortly after that, it was all the spaghetti westerns, all those great Morricone themes. I mean, I don't know what my mum and dad were doing. Let me watch <laughs> Sergio Leone films at about ten or eleven. But I remember watching. I remember loving those films, and the music would would sort of stop me in my tracks and. Then I started to listen to it. But, you know, I didn't really get to write my first score till I was, I think, 25 or 26. And I'd just been in bands. Um, I'd been in a lot of the, the worst bands to come out of Liverpool in the late 80s. 
and I'd been writing some of the songs with some of these bands. I think that was where I first got into writing songs. Um, and some of the, them got released as singles. So I was already into writing music. And then a friend of a friend uh, worked for, for Sky Television, asked us to write some tunes for some documentary for Sky. And that was fun. And then from that, I, I met a guy in London um, who was making a little movie called Leon the Pig Farmer. And he, you know, he seemed like a cool guy. And he said, look, we've got no money and the film probably won't get made, but you want to write some songs for the movie? I was like, yeah, sure. So he sent me the script. I wrote these little songs um, and then sent them to him and he loved them. And then next thing, the, the film was getting made. And then he rang me and said, we still haven't got any money. We can't afford a real composer. Do you think you could write the score? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, how hard can that be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't even read music. You know, I'd never recorded an orchestra. I couldn't, you know, I was utterly clueless, didn't have a clue. And I was with a writing partner at the time, David Hughes, who I was writing songs with. So I went, yeah, 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 you know, how hard can that be? And we'd had the meeting in London. And as we come out of the meeting, because Dave and I got the train from Liverpool, we come out of the meeting and we were on by Charing Cross Road and there's a lot of bookstores there. So I said, look, we don't know what we're doing. Why don't we go and find a book on how to write film music? So we literally, within five minutes of saying we could do it, we went to this store on Charing Cross Road. And it was one of them strange, serendipitous moments where as soon as we walked in, there was a movie section. And the first book we saw was How to Write a Film School. And I was like, there you go. We bought this book and it was an old book. You know, we thought we'll read it on, on the train on the way back to Liverpool. And I don't think we ever read the book. We ended up writing these little pieces of music for Leon the Pig Farmer, and then the movie came out and, and you know, was very famous, won awards in Europe, the Venice Film Festival. We even won awards for the music. I think, you know, people thought we were being original and they had no idea. We were just clueless and, you know, so we kind of failed upwards. Um, but from that, you know, the director then went on to make another movie. So I, we wrote the music for that. The producer went on to make another movie. So we wrote the music. And then suddenly we were film composers. So completely by luck, default, failing upwards. That's how it happened, really. You you say that, but you're just doing it yourself. You're figuring it out. You're making it happen. You know, yeah, there's some some failing up, some luck or whatever. But you're also putting in the work. You're doing the things and it's happening, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I think the best way to learn is, is, is you know, make mistakes um, as fast as you can and learn from them even faster. So yeah. um, we obviously want to focus on Marvel Studios, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but this this wasn't the first time you, you started working with James Gunn. How did you first get linked up with James, who's the writer, director, and then sort of, you know, the, the mastermind of our Guardians films? It was a strange thing. I mean, um, you know, because I retired for for eight years, you know, I originally stopped to homeschool one of my kids. So I was a teacher for two years, um, which was probably the best two years of my life. Up until that point, I'd just been doing movie after movie after movie. So, you know, I missed out on a lot of things. And it wasn't until I stopped and did the homeschooling that I realized what I'd been missing by just working like a lunatic. And it forced me to rethink things. So rather than just jump back into movies again, I thought, well, why don't I do something that means I can be with my family and and still do music? So I set up a record label and and released some things and, you know, sort of got into just being a human being again. <laughs> um, 
that was supposed to just be for a few more years. And then when we realized we were going to move house, I thought, well, I'm going to have to build a new studio. So what started as a two-year hiatus kind of ended up being seven or eight years. But then when we moved, I thought we had to, we built the studio and I thought, okay, i got to go back to work now. The kids are old enough to not care. So I'll do some TV first. I'll do something kind of easy to just get my way back into it. So I did Les Mis for the BBC just to blow away the cobwebs. You know, it was, it was like a seven-part thing and it was about 100 pieces of music. So that, that definitely blew away the cobwebs. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, well, next I'll do a little indie film and I'll kind of ease my way back into it but before i could do the little indie film one day after lame Miz came out i got a call from james gunn um you know he just said i love your stuff i've always loved your stuff and you know can we meet up and i said yeah for sure when he said like can you fly to atlanta tomorrow <laughs> uh it's it's about the, the suicide squad so i'm like of course you know because uh i love this stuff I think he's one of the most exciting filmmakers in the world today. So I jumped on the plane, met up with him, and we hit it off straight away. And I stayed a few days. I, I watched some of the filming. And then, you know, he was in the middle of filming, which was strange. And he said, well, I want to get some of the scenes written that I can shoot to. And I'd never done that before. And I thought that was really cool. So I I come back to L.A. and started work the next day, started sending him stuff. And it, it just worked out, you know. I mean, he was in a band too, you know, you know, he's into punk. We shared a lot of the same language, you know, he's a rebel and I love rebels um, and he's got a huge heart. So there's not a lot not to love about James. So, you know, from the get go, it was just like, okay, you know, this is my people. I can, I can work with this guy. I can, I can go the distance with this guy. And it turned out great. And halfway through the Suicide Squad, he just said, I really would love you to do the next Guardians, and that blew me away, you know, because, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of the Guardians movies, um, big Marvel fan. It all happened kind of quickly. Before we even do the the next film, you're also working on the, the holiday special. Yeah, it was funny how it worked out because, you know, as soon as I came on, I had to write all the main themes for, for Guardians. So I spent, like, maybe two months writing all of this stuff, you know, uh, James told me all of the scenes that he wanted music to shoot to. And that was so cool because sometimes he will have the, the, the score blasting through huge speakers. And sometimes he'll just have it in his headphones. So he's directing the actors with the music playing, which has got to be the highest compliment, you know? The lovely thing was all of those themes I, I wrote from the script every one of them ended up in the movie. I mean, it was reworked somewhat because you work into picture, but all of that early stuff, it all stayed, you know, which is, I think is really cool. Also, you know, James is so good at definitely weaving popular music and, and great songs into everything that uh, the composer brings to the film. Or yeah. Do you have conversations with James about how you work together with all the pieces of music and cues that he's got going on? No, because I don't really need to. Mm. Uh, the songs were all in the script. You know, James writes the you know scripts with the songs in mind. I mean, for me, that helps enormously because I was really a songwriter to begin with. So 
I know some guys, some friends of mine don't like working around songs because they just get in the way. But but for me, when you know you're going to go into, do you realize, or you know you've got to come out of creep, or these amazing classic songs, then it's exciting, you know. I mean, all I have to do is make sure if I'm coming out of something that I do it with some some grace, you know, with, with some respect and, you know, you sort of make sure, you, you know, you're in the right key and it works seamlessly. And if I know I'm going to go into a big tune, the score almost becomes like an intro to the song. You know, if you know you're going to go into a song with with big crashing drums, the last thing you do with the score is is have rhythms because it takes away the the punch and the drive and the impact of the song. So you score it in in such a way that the handover and delivery of the song it is at its max. You know, so you you sort of work up to it. Thinking of the songs as as sort of tectonically different to the score is is a mistake. You know, because the audience when they sit down to watch a movie, to them, it's all one musical experience. So the more that you can make that experience seamless and organic, the better that experience is going to be because nothing's distracting you or jarring you. It's all just flowing together. And I've learned how to do that. So I actually enjoy working around the songs. You know, I find it kind of one of the better things of scoring. Can you walk us through a little bit of what that process is like? Like, actually, you know, I'm deeply ensconced in a lot of what we do at Marvel and various, you know, disciplines, but the music side of it, I don't fully have a, a visibility to it. Like, are you're, you're reading the script and then you're going to, are you getting down in with instruments? Are you writing specific notes down? How do you start building something from, from nothing? I really start with, with feelings. I've, you know, I've read enough scripts and, and scored enough movies to know where there should be music and where there won't be music. You kind of see it on the page straight away. So, you know, I don't write anything until I've read the script, I don't know, four or five times. And I, I really feel like I understand the story and I understand the reason for the story. And I understand why the characters do what they do, you know, the backstory, what motivates them. And then... I'll go to whatever it is that I'm supposed to be writing and I'll just read it over and over again and I'll just see what feelings come to me. And when I feel, you know, if something has to be kind of ironic or something has to be, you know, frightening, but in a sad way, you know, I'll I'll start writing down what I'm feeling as I'm reading this and trying to imagine what it's going to look like. And this is all based on conversations with James at this point. So, you know, I'm not just running down the yellow brick road, you know, it's based on, on conversations with him. And only then will I actually sit down and I'll just noodle at the piano or I'll just pick the guitar up, depending on what it is. Um, I'll be just looking at the script and playing. Do you have favorite moments specifically from the script and that part of the process? Yeah, I mean, Stephen Free has called me a top with a heart and I don't think that's ever changed in that. For me, it's always the, the emotional stuff, you know? I mean, you can get excited, you can get scared, you can get this, you can get... Yeah, you know, victorious and all these these feelings that happen in 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 this movie and and but for me the stuff that that I naturally lean towards or naturally feel the most is you know the saddest stuff really or the more emotional stuff. Um, you know, without giving any any spoilers away, I mean that there's a certain moment when when Rocket walks towards the cages. I think that's safe. 
towards the end of the movie and it's it still makes me it still makes me cry there's a moment there um and you know the, the moment where where the animals are all lying around early in the film and and, and you know and they're trying to figure out what they're going to be called you know just seeing that innocence um you know, it's moments like that. I mean, you know, probably all goes back to my childhood too, but, you know, they're, they're the moments where I feel, you know, I've got something in the well. It is what the Marvel Studios team has done so well, and James and the Guardians crew and everybody, this movie that brings heart and action and emotion and, and humor and puts it all together. And, you know, it, it feels all like it's connected and it's, it is a, a roller coaster, but in that best way possible. I mean, I'm sure that that's also got to be, fun and engaging for you to be able to ha know you have moments that you are going to bring someone to their, you know, sobbing core with the work of everybody else, but also at times where they're probably going to be slapping themselves because they're laughing so hard. That's exactly it with this movie. I mean, even more so than other James Gunn movies, you know, that's what, you know, what I mean when I say it's so emotionally dynamic. I mean, you go from shock and horror to laughing your head off, you know, I mean, and, and such a, like you say, in such a roller coaster way, you know, James Gunn has got a charm to his movies, a certain charm that I don't think any other director has, you know, you know, to make a tree so lovable, <laughs> to make a <laughs> raccoon so human, he does that like nobody. So it was very much a roller coaster, you know, and it's funny. I mean, I wrote some of the most violent music I've ever written on this movie you know, hard tracks, but also probably the most tender music I've ever written. The boundaries went both ways with the score. I don't want it to make it sound like the job is, I mean, the job is intense because, you know, you invest yourself so much in it, but when you've got the story and it's a great movie, you know, I'd be lying if I said it was hard work. It's, it's just a labor of love and you get up in the morning early and get in there and keep going. So that's a good testament to a great movie, really. Oh, yeah. I, I'm excited to see it in final form tonight and hear your music uh, with the picture. It's it's going to be great. So thank you. Very yeah, much. I, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. So uh, I hope everybody loves it. That was composer John Murphy from Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We'll share one more piece of epic music from the film. This one is called It's Really Good to Have Friends. And of course, go see the film Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's in theaters right now, and you can find the soundtrack wherever music is sold. Go enjoy. Yeah. All right. Time for our question of the week. Um, thinking about now, we'll be about two weeks out of the film for next week's episode. So the question of the week will be, 
what is your favorite moment from Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? While I say this, maybe don't get too spoilery, but uh, Lorraine, I think it's been a little while since you've seen the film. Do you have something that sticks in your mind? I love Counter-Earth. I just... Hmm. It, it gives me strong James Gunn vibes. You know, if you're familiar with the old comics around High Evolutionary and Counter-Earth and Man-Beast, I believe his name <laughs> is, and all of that stuff, like the the design of it is so cool. I love people in creature makeup. It feels so early James Gunn. It's just everything about it is so fun and so hilarious. And honestly, bless the Bat family. Everything about oh, them treasures. So, so good. I have so many favorites from this film. It's it's so hard to pick. I think the thing that's stuck with me most is Chuck Woody Awuji's performance as the high evolutionary. He's so good at being so awful. Yeah. I keep running through my head all the amazing moments he has and how awful he is and how gratifying it feels to see what happens and how the, the film comes together but he's, he's just captivating he's a thrilling captivating actor and all the stuff with rocket and in, in the past those moments. Oh. Oh. my favorite thing is one of my friends reposted the clip of rocket and his pals being adorable and they were like oh james gunn's here to destroy me yep, yep. <laughs> it was like he is, but in the best way, in yeah. the best way. And like all the core members of the Guardians have such fantastic moments throughout the film. There's oh, beautiful yeah. stuff with Drax and Nebula. Uh, Star-Lord has great moments, of course. Even Gamora, like watching her evolution through the film. Oh, just yeah. Just really wonderful character stuff. All of them. And a little cameo from Nathan Fillion, just oh, being God. Nathan Fillion and adorable and hilarious. Yeah. There's so much good stuff. I cannot wait. Also, fun fact, Nathan Fillion's not his first time in a Guardians film. Mm -mm -mm. You're welcome. There you go. Look, those are some of our favorites. You can tweet your answers of what is your favorite moment from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 to us using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email your answers to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show. Yeah, like we're going to do now because it's time for This Week in Messages. messages. Uh, the question of the week last week was, of course, what's your favorite song from the film? And we're going to keep it going strong because we're talking music this week. So let's get into our volume three playlist. First up, we've got Shaw at Super Shot 10, who said the moment Creep by Radiohead played in the opening. I knew it was going to be something special again from James Gunn. And then it ended with Dog Days Are Over, which was just perfect. Both of these are easily my favorite needle drops from volume three. Ooh, I like needle drops. That's a good term. Yeah, it really is. At Fredtastic314 tweeted, I loved hearing the Beastie Boys no sleep till Brooklyn when the Guardians fought. That's having a moment right now. It's so good. All right. Next up, we got Rich at Tony Cylinder 16, who said, how can I choose? I loved the intro with Creep, but then No Sleep Till Brooklyn kicked in. Then the scene along with it is amazing. But then Dog Days Are Over really just rounded everything up in a nice, neat bow. It was really amazing. Thank you, everyone. Dan Jones at Dan the Kid said, Florence and the Machines, Dog Days Are Over. Just a great moment in the movie and a deep song that fits perfectly into that part of the story. Oh, it really does. Heck yeah. Oh my God, we haven't even, I, moments talking about Cosmo and Craglin. Oh. 
Oh, that's so nice. All right. Nando at Nandov Movies said, Dog Days has been in my head for the last week. It's going to be one of those songs that no matter where I hear it, I'll always feel like I felt it when I heard it in the movie. Oh, I love that feeling where whenever your song comes on, it always brings back like a little scene from a movie. Oh, it's the best. Mm -hmm. Chuckles at Wookie Chuckles tweeted, my favorite replacement song of all time, I Will Dare, kicked in with the credits right as I was still trying to process all the feelings. I started crying again joyfully. What an incredible experience. Thank you, James Gunn. Aww. Good one, Chuckles. All right, we got an email here from Joe Hoffman that says, in answer to the question of the week, my favorite song from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 soundtrack has to be Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. As that is such an iconic song for the Guardians, I must confess that I haven't seen the movie yet, but I hope to make it out to see Guardians 3 soon as I really want to see the movie. It looks awesome. There's still time. You got time. Get your butt to a theater. It's go time. Don't wait too long. The internet waits for no man. Yeah, for sure. We got an email from the G family. Uh, they say, hello, Twim. We just left volume three and are ready to answer this week's question. No spoilers. Both kids felt the throwback song from volume one was their favorite musical moment. And mom and dad share a toss up between the same two. The Beastie Boys amp up and the Florence and the Machine party. What a great film. Thank you, Heather, Derek, Fiona, and Nolan. Also, thank you, Heather, for um, sharing some parenting back and forth thoughts. Because like, I've been thinking about how to introduce some of these movies. I don't want to give Catherine you know, too much intense stuff too early, but uh, she's only like three. So I know it's early. <laughs> so I was, I was watching volume two last week and she came into my office and she was like, Ooh, daddy. And she just sat down and she just watched it. And I was like, are you sure this is not too scary? I kept asking. She was like, no, no, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. She's fine. She's fine. So here we go. I don't know if I'm ready for her to have volume three yet, but you know, maybe we dip our toes into one and two a little bit more. My parents never censored me, and I don't know if that was a good thing or not, but I watched so many things and my parents would be like, all right, if you want to watch it, like, we'll warn you if it's scary, and if you want to leave or turn it off, we can. And I would just be like, no. But then again, I was watching Silence of the Lambs when I was like seven. Oh, so... that's fine. <laughs> now you have a weird fear of buckets, but other than that, you're good. <laughs> Terrified by lotion. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Also, I love scary movies now and they don't bother me. So there I guess that's it. Well, sometimes they do, but I watch them anyway. All right. We have an email here from Paul Warren. My favorite song is Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips. At my wedding, we played an acoustic version of that song while a squad of adorable little flower girls came down the aisle. My overall favorite is the 2017 Telltale Guardians game picking the deep 80s cut. Why can't I touch it by the Buzzcocks? <laughs> Anybody out there who's never heard the Buzzcocks, go listen to them. So good. So good. All right. Uh, I want to give a thanks to Ramon Banda for the great email, which came a little late for last episode, but we still wanted to pull it in here. Uh, Ramon says, been listening to the show for a while, and it's my first time writing in. Love the show. You guys are great, and I await Fridays for this. To answer the question of my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy moments, a toss-up between three scenes. The scene from Volume 1 where Peter sees his mom while holding the Power Stone just kills me. The scene in Volume 2 when Yondu saves Peter after telling him Ego wasn't his daddy just destroys me. And then when Peter tells Yondu he looks like Mary Poppins, that makes me laugh uncontrollably. So many good moments from this franchise. Can't wait to see Volume 
three. All right, Ramon, got to hear what you felt about volume three. Please, please, please. Uh, and a reminder to everybody else, if you can, please try to email us by the Tuesday or Wednesday after the episode releases. So we have time to include you in the show. Um, the earlier you email us, the easier it is for us to include you. Yeah. And speaking of which, we have an email here from William Rose, who answered a previous question of the week, but we wanted to get you in, which is, what is your favorite long running comic series? That was in comment to our uh, 600th episode. And he says, happy 600th, Ryan Lorraine and JMI. A few of my favorite long running series as of now would have to be X-Force, Captain Marvel, X-Men and Wolverine. My favorite long-running series of all time, however, would be Uncanny X-Men. And it has been very referential of the many creative teams that stick closely to the story arcs for this day. To this day, a long-running series that would have deserved more love would be Slingers. And a series that would have been more long-running recently would be Steve Orlando's Marauders, Vita Ayala's Children of the Atom, Leah Williams' X-Factor, and Eve L. Ewing's Monica Rambeau Photon. Yeah. Uh, on a different topic, I'm glad that the current New Mutants Lethal Legion run, which feels more long running as an extension of the Hickman, Brisson and Ayala runs, uh, has a lead trans mutant and a supporting trans non-binary mutant showcasing their story and their movesets. And on a final topic, I am looking forward to seeing Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, that said, thank you for reading my thoughtful letters since I have started writing in the pandemic. Comics keep me entertained and conversing with true believers online. Happy 60 years to the X-Men and the Avengers and an unfortunate 50 years to Peter Parker. He'll always grow up from them since that fateful day. Stay safe and Excelsior. Oh, poor Gwen Stacy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, William, for writing in. And for last week's question about the favorite moment in a Guardians movie, we have an answer here from Dan, who said, I can't believe no one mentioned Baby Groot dancing to the Jackson 5 during the credits <laughs> of the first movie. I can't hear that song without thinking of Baby Groot trying to dance without Drax noticing. Ugh. I mean, truly, that had such a grip on life oh, after the film came out. Uh, excellent call. Yeah, for sure. Over on Facebook, Rachel Nicole Ingersoll said, My favorite song from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the acoustic version of Creep. I grew up playing that song on Guitar Hero with friends, so it brings <laughs> back good memories. For my favorite score pieces from John Murphy, I love Mo Argaste Forn, Who We Are, and All Life Has Meaning. I definitely got a bit teary with some of those. I listen to the movie scores while I work, and all of Volume 3 has been added to my list. Thank you all for an amazing show. Thank you, Rachel. From Carly over on Facebook, Carly says, my favorite score track from volume three is Naming. And you probably know why, but every time I listen to it, I can picture the scene and recite some of the dialogue, but it's such a sweet track and I can't help but smile when I listen to it. My second favorite track is Orgoscopic Elevator, as it gives me chill, lo-fi vibes. <sighs> very, very cool, Carly. I have to say, I love to work to a movie score. It makes it feel really epic and meaningful mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're just click clacking on a keyboard. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Love that. Agreed. We appreciate everybody who listens, who writes in, who shares the show. Please share, share, share the show. It really helps. That's it for us this week. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Cara McGurk, Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 
And special thanks to Teeth's Dental Care. Teeth's Dental Care. At least it's not floors. She has a real scary bitey mouth. She's so pretty and cute and wonderful. And I want to give her a hug, even though it probably would be pokey. Anyway, I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.